0: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Withered University the podcast of the peer, peerless review. I'm Adam Elwanger and uh, I'm happy to have my friend on as a guest today. His name is Dr. Harry Crane. He's a full professor of statistics at Rutgers University and he's also co-founder along with Ryan Martin of University of North Carolina of the platform Researchers One. You can find it online at researchers.one, O-N-E. Um, It's an online publication or a platform that allows for scholarly publishing, community building and research collaboration. Harry, thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So I'll start by, uh, you're the first statistician that we have had on so far um i am trying to get as talk to people in as many different disciplines as i can tell us about your training how did you choose statistics what does your research focus on in terms of statistics these sorts of things
1: yeah so my my interest i guess um growing up i i was always i was always good at math i always liked math and um kind of just continued to do it throughout college. Actually, in college, my favorite subject was actuarial science, which was mostly using probability, not not on the probability side, not on the statistics side of things. And so um, at some point, I decided to go to graduate school, though it wasn't what I originally wanted to do um, coming out of college. Um, And I wanted to continue to study probability. And for me, probability was associated to statistics, even though there's some kind of usually a lot of people go into math but i accidentally went into statistics and um that's kind of here i am i guess so uh it really wasn't anything that i even you might even say i didn't even consciously uh think it wasn't even really consciously choosing it um it was just something that i always did and i always enjoyed
0: okay and so do you still work with, your research still fo- focuses on probability issues, or has it shifted since you've been a professor? Uh,
1: I think, yeah, it's still mostly in probability. It's become maybe more in the range, uh, in the realm of applied probability. But uh, what I was studying was probability theory, stochastic processes. And it, it was on the kind of the more abstract or mathematical side of of statistics um, for those who, for those who can kind of tell the difference. Yeah.
0: So in particular, when you talk about sort of applied statistics, one of the areas of interest for you is sports betting, right?
1: Somewhat, although I wouldn't say that that's where my uh, research,
0: that's not where your research is. That's not really is. where
1: my research is, although that, you know, there's actually a lot of interesting things that come of that. What I like about that um is, and this kind of ties into some things that I think we'll talk about that are not Directly statistically related, but one of the things that I really um, I think is, is not only interesting and fascinating, but really important is to tie what I do and how I think about things to the real world. Um, and one of the really, if you if if you want to get into it, the the fact that statistics is so widely used throughout science um, is you know makes it makes it makes it a pretty important field and has a lot of impact. Um, but so it does have a lot of impact on the real world and therefore a lot of mistakes or misunderstandings of how to use it have bad impact potentially on, on the real world. And so by, by, you know, going into the realm of risk and talking specifically about betting, actually gambling more generally, but I, I do, uh, talk a little bit about sports betting elsewhere. Uh, what, what's interesting there is that you can't trick, you can't lie about it. You can't, you, if you're lying about it, you're lying to yourself because the money's coming out of your pocket ultimately. And, and, and it's really something that teaches, teaches things that, that I would never have learned that I haven't learned in 10 plus years of statistical research in academia, because you don't get that feedback mechanism of, you know, there's the, the reality test doesn't actually exist in pretty much any field of science. Um, because you don't have, there isn't necessarily a clear criteria of what the objective is, right? There's a statistical test that gets run, it 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 crosses a threshold, and you say there's evidence for something. But in betting, you're either making money or you're not.
0: That's fascinating. There was one course in college that I got an F in. It was business statistics. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not not wholly because of my. Uh, um, Innumeracy, but partly because of it.
1: Well, to tell you the truth, I mean, so my lowest grade in, in, in college was statistics. Really? Uh, and uh, like I said, I, I, my, I liked probability. I did not like, I actually did not like statistics, but my low, not only that, but my lowest grade was in statistics. Um, and I can, I guess, look back on it now and blame other people. I'm not trying to blame other people, but really um, I think the way in which statistics is taught is it does injustice to the subject, but it also made it, for me at least, impossible to learn. Uh, and, I, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Most A lot of people's hate, most hated subject is statistics in college. Um, and so I yeah, guess I, I had
0: it at 8 a.m. Well. That didn't help. I see. <laughs> um, OK, so I came to know you through your work with researchers, one. And what Researchers One is, is an interdisciplinary platform for scholars to publish their academic research. Um, One of the interesting things about the site is that it circumvents the peer review process. Uh, People, if if a scholar had a new work of research that it wanted to add to the site's library of research, they could put it up this afternoon and it would be um, available for other people to read and, and comment on. Um, and, and so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why you guys started researchers one um, there's specifically I'm interested in, in your thoughts on peer review and the this sort of legacy system of scholarly publishing. Tell us about the problems that you saw in those contexts that sort of gave rise to this idea.
1: So when we, before we started researchers one, I mean, we were, uh, me and Ryan Martin were each, um, both statisticians. So we were in, we have a pretty narrow circle of people in academia that we, we we are engaging with, but a common theme, first of all, it it was a common theme that everybody just complains about peer review endlessly, uh, that, you know, they got their paper rejected. This guy's, this guy's an idiot, you know, all, 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 kinds of things. And it came to a point and we were having similar, you know, we submit our papers, we get back and you kind of go through it enough to where you either say, well, I'm either going to continue to complain for the rest of my life, or I'm going to suck it up, or I'm going to do something that I think improves upon the thing that I'm complaining about. Uh, And so we took that third, that third road. And that's where researchers one came out of. And, and, when you decide to go that route i mean there's there's different there's different directions you can take as well i think the more co- the most common say 99% direction is to write a bunch of articles uh, about how messed up peer review is in that's the my same approach. Review, <laughs> in the same peer review journal well, That's not really your your approach um, the, the the in the same journals that you're complaining about right and to have committee discussions and to, you know, have panels and, and, th- and to talk about it, basically, and to not to actually do anything about it. Um, and so we thought, well, let's actually try to do something about it that will address the, um, you know, address the issue. Well, what that, that, that opens up a question unto itself, because you have to identify, you have to define the issue clearly enough. To, to know what you're trying to actually fix and actually have a, a plan for fixing it. So what researchers want is, and this this is after, you know, this took a while to figure out what we wanted it to be, and it's still evolving as, as we learn new things, is like you said, it's a platform. It's really meant to be a decentralized hub for researchers to um, publish research, to interact with each other, to engage with one another. And so uh, it initially began as a place to publish just articles, kind of on a one-off basis. If, if I have an article, I can publish there. If you have an article, you can publish it there. No, no disciplinary boundaries, no gatekeeping. But the the catch there was, there's still peer. I mean, it's still a peer-reviewed journal or peer-reviewed outlet. I shouldn't call it a journal, it, because every article is subject to um, public open review. By anyone in the world. So if I have a comment on your article, or if somebody who ha- knows something about what you wrote, and wants to say something about it, they can go on and they can talk about it. And they can inform everybody who comes to the site that there's something wrong with it, or something right about it, or whatever they want to say, um, which is very different. And that's well, one to say is that that's, in our in our view, the true kind of scholarly meaning of peer review, which is you you, you did something that you worked hard on that you think is correct, you know, I give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not, you know, that you you're think what you did is correct. And I might have a different viewpoint, a different viewpoint professionally, because I have read something different or I had a different interpretation than you did. And I can express that to you. And you can choose to integrate it into your work or you could choose to completely ignore it. That's your choice because it's your work at the end of the day. As, and so there's a scholarly component to peer review that is essential. As opposed to the what peer review actually is now, or the primary purpose of peer review, which is an administrative bureaucratic uh, role, which is not, hey, let me share you let let me share with you um, valuable information that I that I know that maybe you don't know, um, but rather, you know, your papers, you, you're, you, here's all the things you did wrong, or I'm going to hold your hold you hostage. Um, because I don't like what your conclusions are or because of any number of social political or other reasons that come into, come into play because at the end of the day, um, really what most research, unfortunately you get into the game, most researchers care about getting published in a journal so that they can list it on their CV so that they can get promoted. Most people are not reading the articles. So they see the journal on the CV. They say that's a good journal. They don't know what's in the paper. So it becomes a game. It has become a game. And so we were trying to get our extract ourselves out of that game more than anything else. I didn't even necessarily care who else uses the site. We wanted to create something that we would use, right? So at, at minimum, we know that we'll use it. And we know that this is what we want it to be. And we also figured... If we're having these thoughts, if these are things that bother us, there's probably other people out there that are thinking the same thing.
0: So I want to talk about some of the limitations of of the traditional peer review process. And you kind of alluded to some of them, but some of our listeners might not be exactly familiar with how this process works. And it's worth explaining. You know, if I write an article, I spend months producing a new work of research and send it out to a journal Sometimes it'll take six months before they get back to me and say, yeah, we'll take it or no, we won't. And most of the time, they'll get back to you and say, maybe we want to take this. We don't know. We want you to do this, 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 and this, right? So you spend months doing this, 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 and that. Then you send it back to them and they take another five or six months for peer reviewers to look it over. So now you're in over a year deep if you consider the time you spent producing the research and then they may come back and say, yeah, this is good. We'll publish it. In that event, you might still wait a year or more before it actually appears in print. Right. Um, and uh, if they, it's also possible that they just say, no, we just we just don't think it's for us. And then you've got to start the process from square one again. And so it could take years for this to happen. Um One of the things that I like a lot about researchers, one, is it collapses the time. Um, Sometimes I wonder about how much time and energy is spent satisfying this or that reviewer in order to get something published and how much of that time could be used to generating more research, not just an article that makes this peer reviewer happy. Have you ever had one of these reviews? I I wonder if it happens in statistics, but it happens. It's common in the humanities where a peer reviewer says, yeah, this is pretty good, but you made no mention of this person's work and you just can't not mention it. So you need to, you need to do this or that. Um, does that happen in stats?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. That happens. I mean, I, I, um, I've had worse happen. You know, I was, I was, th- I was, uh, I was uh, I don't know if I was officially banned, but I was threatened to be banned from the Royal Statistical Society journals um, because I they're. I to hear
0: about that. What happened? Well, there, there's,
1: I, I, you know, the, what happened ultimately, I think, is that I published a paper that uh, before I, I published, I, I published work that they that they wanted one of their friends to publish first. Uh, and um so they decided that i i didn't i couldn't publish in their journal uh and when i when i when i raised the issue um they threatened to just ban me from from ever publishing there again which is perfectly fine with me uh, uh but they they didn't carry through that they didn't carry through with their threat um but you know so yes this type of thing happens because at the end of the day um i think that of course some some research is more politically charged than others and you're, you know your field much more so than mine um but the p pe- there's still it's still just people uh and people are just uh you know unfortunately the the way that the way that th- that at least me and ryan and in, in our work and our thinking about it you know we don't think people come into the system corrupt i mean at least i don't think the vast majority of people I went to school with. I mean, your field might be different, actually, but you know, at least in 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 the in especially in math or sciences, people come in because they have a genuine interest in the subject, because that's really all there is. I mean, you go through school, you're learning math. It's it doesn't. Um, at least that's not when I was a kid. Now it might be different, but uh, eventually, you know, the system is what corrupts people. You know, it's seemingly. Um, but you know, to, to the thing that you're you're bringing up here is, you know, do first of all, do people hold hold papers hostage? Yes. Do they do they reject papers for petty reasons? Yes. Will they find any number any number of excuses to reject a paper because it, it it competes with them or because it's in a competing group that isn't affiliated to their graduate students? Yes. These things all happen. Um, and so, again, it gets back to what were we trying to do when we created this was, uh, you know, it gets to the question, what, what are we trying to do here? What exactly is the point of all of this? Why would you wait three, four, five years for your work to be published? Why would you care so much about what or why should you care about what an anonymous person thinks you should put in your paper? Um, Why should and and these are all questions that are worth it. And maybe the answer is you should care for X, Y, Z reasons. But in a lot of the cases we we determine and I believe you shouldn't care, Um, you know, quite, quite honestly, you just should not care. And since you shouldn't care, the system should not be set up in a way that forces you to to act like you care. Um, And so I
0: don't want to cite Scholar X or if I didn't, it's because I didn't want to. And that's not a problem. Right.
1: Yes. And also, I mean, th- the thing that people seem very afraid of is that bad research will get published. Um, and there's, there's a few things we can discuss in that one is that bad research is almost the, the is, is actually the vast majority of, of the literature. So you're not it's not working. Um, but also, who, who, why should I care? Why should I stop you from writing a bad paper? Why do I care how you spend your time and what you put your name to? I mean, I, I can try to help you out. I can try to say, I think this, I think that genuinely trying to. But at the end of the day, if you say no, in the interest of you thinking this is what's best, I disagree what you think is good. I'm going my way. Then you have the consequences for that or you reap the rewards of that. And I, an anonymous person, why should I as an anonymous person care? I don't share in the benefits. And I also importantly don't share in the, in the, um, you know, in the grief or in the, in the criticism when you publish something, write something, because I told you to, and it turns out to be wrong or it turns out to be stupid.
0: So this is, this is my, uh, where I kind of gave up on, on the peer review process as it exists is what you said is it it markets itself as kind of a, a, a quality insurance mechanism but you look at the fields of sociology psychology and the replication crisis we're learning that in fact all sorts of public uh, or published research cannot be scientifically replicated and therefore is is arguably untrue um in my field and in the humanities essentially 90% of the scholarship gets published as just straight up political advocacy or activism, uh, masquerading as kind of uh, analysis and um, analytic work. Um, So I wanted to share, because you talked about your experience uh, with uh, a threatened ban. Um, What happened to me recently is I started getting a lot of desk rejections. When I send a manuscript out, Right. The editor will just say, yeah, sorry, I don't think it's a good fit. I'm not going to send it out for peer review. Um, and my response will be, well, like, isn't that the function of peer review is to see if other people think it's a good fit? Um, no, blah, blah. And the flagship journal of my field, um, Rhetoric Society Quarterly, uh, the editor actually got back to me when I when I pressed her on the the reason for um, the desk rejection, and she said that she didn't want to publish anything um, associated with anyone who has a whiff of transphobia attached to them. Um, I had discussed transgenderism in my book. The article that I submitted had absolutely nothing to do with uh, questions of transgender identity, um, but never I honestly, I appreciated the fact that she was willing to just say, yeah, I'm just not sending it out for peer review because I don't want to publish stuff from you. Um, okay. but it surprised me that then I went to Taylor and Francis who owns, God knows how many academic journals and, and publishes them. And I thought that they'd be really interested to see this. Right. I sent them the emails, all the documentation. I was shocked to learn that they're like, yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. and, and I, I wonder, you know, like, uh, have, are desk rejections common in in statistics? I, I When I was a younger scholar, I never got them. Now I get them all the time. I mean maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, in, in imagining dark motives here, but I don't think so.
1: I'm trying to think, I don't think I've ever had one. and, and in, in, is, in a way, um, you could you could argue that that's not good either because it wastes a lot of time. Actually, as I as I sit here and talk, I completely forgot about this what year is it now oh so i've i've had a paper under peer review since 2015 what that um that i still haven't gotten back the first round of reviews for um so i forgot it existed <laughs> actually um so anyway uh you know that stuff happens i've had
0: journals uh, re- refuse to acknowledge that they received a submission from me mm-hmm um (laughs) you know i guess that's like the best way to censor is just pretend you never got it
1: yeah so um i don't know how often it actually happened. i mean you know i as far as the peer review process is concerned i me me, you know so me and ryan have written things on the site of you know we originally wrote kind of a manifesto of sorts of of what our original motivations were but you know one of the realities of it is that we have had a very good time, a very easy and a good time of it, all, all things considered. You know, of course, I've had a lot of papers rejected. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're young, these things hurt. These things hurt more than when you're older and you get more kind of excited about it. But all in all, you know, I was able to publish in you know the top journals in my field. I don't think that I was being except for the, the one uh, situation I mentioned. Um, there was nobody had an axe to grind um with me at least up until that point. Um and so that those those weren't issues. Um those weren't issues that we had to deal with. Um now in statistics has this changed? I mean because once we started uh Researchers One, which was around 2018, um now I just publish all my work there. So I don't I don't actually submit to journals in my field. So I haven't been rejected in a while, but I haven't I haven't done anything uh in that realm for a while. Um but the, what you mentioned about your guest rejection based on your you think about it on your whether it's your identity or actually on someone's perception of who you are, which as you, the article itself wasn't about the topic, um, even if the article was about the topic. I don't know if it if it fits within the scope of the field or not, you know, doesn't mean that it's automatically disqualified. Um, but this stuff happens in science as well, because I mean, in statistics, couple of years ago so one of the founding fathers uh, no the founding father of statistics uh r.a fisher um and he also founded genetics as it turns out so he was pretty much a big deal in uh in the early 20th century um and was one of the probably the best scientists of his for sure of his time um He so there was a the biggest award or one of the one of the bigger awards in statistics is kind of a lifetime achievement award was to give what's called the R.A. Fisher lecture. Um, but he was I guess Fisher effectively got canceled and his name was taken off the lecture because there was some association to him that he was a racist, which actually all of the history and all of the firsthand accounts completely it was it was complete opposite, in fact, but uh the The convenient narrative was that he was a racist, and so they took him off of the lecture. so in the in the end, is that a, is that a huge deal? I mean, it is a big deal. It's a small deal because in the sense that I don't actually really care whose name goes on a lecture or if the lecture even exists on the one hand. but once the once the lecture does exist, if we're going to change it, the reason for the change, the change could be we don't have enough money to fund it. Change could be we just don't feel like showing up to this lecture anymore. But the reason matters. And this particular reason is just a completely, um, well, it's a made up reason, but also it doesn't, it it gets to this problem that there's a sign, there's someone who, there's a person and then there's all of the things they did that is extremely important and everybody is still using to this day. And all of modern statistics is pretty much based on who cares about the person, the stuff, are we celebrating the person or his accomplishments? Um, or what he says, or what his science is, and that's something that's been completely lost, uh, and is continuing to get eroded uh, as we go on.
0: I wanted to pick your brain a little bit too, just on the 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 features of print scholarly publication. Um, I wonder, it's getting increasingly costly to publish uh, print journals and this, this sort of thing. The infrastructure exists like researchers want to render them obsolete, at least in theory. Um, I also think that because of the print nature of the journal, it artificially limits um, the length of scholarly work, right? The vast majority of journals are gonna say, no, you can't write more than 10,000 words, why? right um there's there's also only space in each issue for them to publish so you know so many articles and so i often think about like the way that the the nature of print scholarly publication actually puts artificial limits on the amount of scholarship that can be released and on what the scholarship that does get released can do um And with the increasing costs and with the ongoing sort of digital revolution, I wonder, do you think, you know, 20 years from now, will the old legacy print system of scholarly publication exist to the extent that it does now?
1: Well, I think that I I don't know how it is in your field, but I mean, this has already pretty much happened in statistics. um, And in a lot of the, I think a lot, a lot in math and probably other fields like that, um they do still certain certain societies certain journals do release uh paper copies but uh very few people actually read them very few people subscribe to them everything's accessible online and a lot of journals that are coming into existence are just going 100% online um the only reason not to do that would be this this sense that having a physical copy of a journal is somehow prestigious or what i mean there is there is still a mindset out there that it that that um and the, actually let me answer your question first, but uh, which is yes, I do think that the the um the paper journals will go away. I mean, in fact, I don't even think I'm not sure, but I think most of the journals which uh Rutgers subscribes to don't even exist in print they don't buy them in print or they don't take the print copies they just make them accessible online which is realistically much more convenient for for most people anyway
0: so um man the question just slipped my mind that i was going to ask you but it was what i will
1: say though so i mean maybe while you while you think think of your question but there are still journals that come out and I've talked to people because we work with re- with researchers. One, we, we do um, not only in addition to article public publishing individual articles. We, we also host journals and we have a bunch of journals that are jumping on on board and want to be want to be hosted by us, not just because they want to start a journal. And then, you know, they could start it anywhere, but they, they choose us because they agree with the principles that that underlie our our, you know, our philosophy and our whole site. Um, we've also run some conferences on the site, but uh in 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 dealing with some of these journals, there there is a mindset that is hard to shape, which is you know, a lot of people come to us, they say, Yes, we want to do something different, there's something wrong with peer review. Um, we want to work with you. And then there's there's actually there tends to be kind of a lull where they kind of go away and it's unclear whether they're gonna they're gonna do it, they're gonna pull the trigger, they might go and do it the more traditional way, and and there's this tension which is that when especially for um those who have made it further into the careers in the within the 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 current or what used to be of the paradigm and now it's kind of changing but this is kind of ingrained in them to do things a certain way and the idea in one particular case was that having a print version of a journal meant something really important um and ultimately, I don't care, go ahead and do it. But that's not something that we do. Uh, so we, we don't provide that service. Yeah.
0: You mentioned that, that nobody reads the print journals anymore. And sometimes I wonder if this has created a different sort of scholar. Um, I think that a professor who is, you know, 30 or 40 years our senior, um, the way that you did research is you got your quarterly copy of this hard journal and you read the issue right? And I think that what that gave a lot of scholars back then was a very good 35,000 foot view of the discipline, you know, and what's going on. I don't know about you, but like I never pick up an issue of a journal in my field, at least not since grad school, and just read it cover to cover, right? Instead, what I do is I have my very narrow little areas of interest within rhetoric, and I search databases for, particular articles that address my narrow interests and so i think i have probably a deeper knowledge of very narrow issues than uh, you know a scholar 30 years ago would have had but a much shallower knowledge of the broader concerns of the discipline as a whole um, you think that we just uh people say under 50 um uh, are different scholars fundamentally than people used to be
1: that's probably true. I mean, there's a good reason not to read every article in a given journal, which is that most of it's almost entirely junk. Uh, <laughs> it just, I, could, I don't know, speak for your field.
0: No, mine. mine. But does. Uh,
1: so it is it, it is kind of and you try it, you do it when you're a graduate student and you quickly realize it's I mean, as a graduate student, you probably can't really discern as, as easily what's good and what's bad. But you, you get you, eventually you figure out um. yeah what's what am I doing here so that's, that's a lot of time invested for no real payoff but the uh, so I mean but to your point that's a good point and it also it but it underscores that the fact that journals themselves it underscores why specific journals and prestigious journals and high quote-unquote high-impact journals actually used to in a print actually have a meaning or have a purpose because if I didn't subscribe to the journal you just published in, I didn't read your article um, and if I do subscribe to it and the more likely I'm going to subscribe to the top journals in the field, that's why I saw the article. So that's why you want to get into those articles, so or into those journals. So, you know that that's something that is a vestige of, really, it's a technological, I mean it's just a it's just technology. The technology that we used to be working on was basically a printing press, and you write on and you put it on paper and you mail it out. And now we have a different technology, and that changes how people consume and how people, do research. Um, But yeah, so, so good point. And I guess one, one, one thing that comes out of that question is that in in a lot of ways, you know, to what extent does this peer reviewed journal thing where there is a finite resource of number of pages that you want to print and therefore the need to pick what goes in there You know, that plays in, you know, you could make a, you could make a case that there's a legitimate role of peer review in that we have a finite resource and therefore we have to um, allot that resources appropriately. Um, That argument doesn't really fly anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to transition to talking about sort of university more generally. And I think that both you and I, um, and basically everybody I've had on this program so far, agree that um, the university is in crisis um, and that ideology uh, and, and sort of uh, political activism have a lot to do with this and have corrupted um, some of the, the traditions and values of university life. I ask everybody, how did this happen and how did it happen so fast? Do you have ideas about that?
1: So... That I don't. Know. I mean, so that in some way I, I don't. I can't. You know, put a pinpoint it. Um. You know, for, but I, I guess what I what I would want want to think about. You know, what ex- I guess the question is, what I would ask is, what what just happened? You know, exactly. I don't even know what to say. How did this happen? Because I don't even. I can't really wrap my head around what.
0: Okay. What do you think happened?
1: Well, no. What I mean is, I'm not trying to say that I, I don't understand what you're asking. What yeah. I that it, it, it's. Kind of, you know, when you think of it, so so the the universities, by and large, and I would you know probably nine, we'll say ninety plus percent of them or more, have been overtaken by political interest, as you said. This has now infested itself into every aspect of, almost every aspect of academic or intellectual life. All the way down to not just not just to you know, what the policies of the university are with respect to discipline and behavior, but into the fields of study, the research, what is and isn't allowed to get published in a scholarly way, what you are and aren't allowed to comment on as an expert in a field that has a legitimate kind of background and experience to, to comment on such things. Um. So really, I mean, what has happened, I guess, is you know academia has always had a I don't know about I shouldn't say always, but for a long time has has had a has had a liberal slant. Um, and it was kind of understood that you know it was kind of well understood, but still you could to some extent still reason with people or have certain conversations with certain people. as time has gone on that that ability has completely gone away. um and what's what I think has actually happened is that whereas this is this is feel free to disagree with this or to kind of fill fill in some gaps this is just from where what i'm looking at you know the university was this kind of um, bastion of liberalism but now that's actually the university is actually just like everywhere else now i mean things have actually spread so far into society it's not just that it's somebody teaching philosophy or english who has a certain you know political stance These are things that have become woven into into society and and government and everything that, you know, all aspects of life.
0: So a lot of people for a long time thought that these trends would be isolated to the humanities and the social sciences. But it seems like there's a lot um, of science recently that it's also moving into um, science and mathematics, which people had thought would be protected uh, from the woke ideologues, do you see any evidence of that encroachment in stats?
1: So what I would say, so in terms of, so I think that you have to look a lot harder and, and kind of know a lot more to detect it because it's, it, you know, for the most part at the end of the day, 99% of research or more in statistics is not something that can be can be woke right i mean I, there, I i can't imagine how i could make my probability papers woke or not woke right somebody will figure out a way i'm sure well, you've
0: heard you've heard of people right in the news who are saying that uh advanced math is racist this kind of thing um
1: yeah so so you know those things of course uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think actually I, I i think are you asking actually in the field the people who are practicing yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to answer is that the, the content itself is still hard to hard to finagle in most cases. Although, you know, when you get into more applied or areas where you're applying causal inference to policing and to school admissions without question and, and you know, climate change, all those things, I mean, without certain interests are definitely coming into play there. But um, where it actually finds itself mostly and, and I, I consider this so petty that I don't I don't even pay attention to it, but it's really the socio social environment, social aspect of it. You know, who gets hired, who gets awards Um, and and that that matters in the long run. So I I shouldn't dismiss it. But it's not it hasn't worked itself to the point where it's and it also degrades the quality of of work because it promotes work that's lower quality than others. But but that's kind of a, a much more, I would say a much less kind of in-your-face way of doing it than, than it seems to be in a lot of the humanities or in, the, in, in other fields.
0: So in the English department, I mean, part of what it means to be an English professor in good standing is to consistently uh, uh, signal your support um, and unequivocal um, ad- adherence to a, a sort of left-wing social agenda. Um, and this is even like outside class, right? Interacting with colleagues, this has to be signaled too.
1: Um,
0: and obviously you don't have to, but if you don't, there's certain consequences for not doing so. And I wonder, you know generally, so statistics professors as a group, if people are, you know, at a dinner party, I assume you guys aren't talking stats, um, it, uh, at least not like a mathematical, problems and things. I assume you're talking about the same thing that English professors talk about, which is the world, the university, the society, you know, personal lives. And the, in those contexts, political concerns come up. Um, do you see sort of a uniformity of ideological commitment just in, in, the, these, uh, in the professors outside of the classroom, you know, in informal contexts?
1: I think here's how I would uh, summarize or answer the question, which is, and this this doesn't sound like it's available to you, but I, it is possible to avoid certain uh, dinner dinner parties. It is possible to avoid certain groups, if and and still still socialize with other people. So, in other words, it's not so uniform necessarily. I you know where everybody is so far gone that, uh, you know, the way that the way that you described, um, certainly many are, but they can be avoided. Yeah.
0: The, the best way to avoid it is to not get invited.
1: <laughs> no, I've been good at that.
0: <laughs> um, so uh, can the university be saved? Is there a way to to claw it back from from whatever's happened and i agree that your question of what happened rather than how it happened is a good one because you know i'm, I'm sure there would be some disagreement on that question but taking That's- for granted that we understand what happened um and that it's bad uh is it can we get it back to where it was or is that a futile task
1: right so i i think this depends for it depends on what you mean by calling back. what you know we'll get to, I don't think, I don't know if we want to go down, you know, what would we be restoring exactly? What would we be repairing? Okay. Those are the first questions. And, you know, is it something that's worth restoring? You know, those are, those are separate questions, but can it be done? I think over a hundred year period, anything's possible. Right. Uh, Oh, but if I would say over the next five to 10 or even 20 years, no, I don't think anything's going to change. Um, that's, that's kind of my assessment of it because it probably took, I mean, when you, when you think about it, it's kind of remarkable. And I, I have to kind of look back and say, wow, you know, that, that was a pretty tricky, that was a pretty long play that this, a lot of this stuff started, I don't know, I don't know the, the scholarship, but 30, 40 years ago, it sounds like maybe longer, longer. with some of the, some of the critical theories,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um and so the way I this is my, you know, statistical analysis of it without having data is if it took something 50 years to, to come into play, and if it got in, then it's at least another 50 years before it gets out, um, just because it, be, it took basically it, it's been woven into the fabric uh, for that long, then how are you going to, you know, that's kind of a, just a, a rule of thumb that I'm, I'm applying it doesn't mean I'm right. But so that's how I would think about it. No, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I and I and I don't think though that maybe I'm wrong about this, but it doesn't seem like there's that much will or desire to to make it go away uh, from the inside, right? And so I think that this is where uh, you know we're we're asking the question: what would be what would we be repairing exactly? What are we trying to restore? Um, and I think that you would get very different answers to that. Um, and I think that in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily clear what you're restoring, because the thing you're going back to might be a lot better than where we're at now. But you might say, well, actually, if I had to sign up for that, I'd, I'd rather not either. Um, and so how far are you trying to go back exactly? And then you end up to a place where Universities barely existed, or you know, didn't they? Never existed in the form that ideally, in our head, we think. Well, it must have been better. It must have been just like we dreamed of when we went to <laughs> graduate school, and it probably never was. Um, and there's also a sense, and this is where uh, to to tie it back to researchers one, because when you think about the journal system, which is a small part of academia, a very small part um, of academia, and when we were thinking about well. You, when, when you think about, okay, there's a lot of things wrong with it. Okay. Then what do you do? You can say, well, can we fix it? And a lot of people go the route of fixing it. Um, we, we didn't go, we're not, but just to be clear, we're not trying to fix it. We're just saying, this is something different. We think it's beyond fixing number one. And we also don't think it deserves to be fixed. Um, and I think that it's, it, I think universities have, have actually gotten to that point. And I think that, um, they don't deserve to be fixed. They they want what they have. And I think it deserves the, you know, or, you know, the benefit, whether there's benefits, whether it's the good or the bad, whatever it comes of it is what it deserves. And I think it should be, I, I think it's allowed, I think we should allow it to go by the wayside. And I think it will go by the wayside for a segment of, once it goes by the wayside though, for a segment of people, it doesn't have to be 50% of people for 20, 30% of people, it, it erodes its credibility, you know, 95 you know, 90 or 95%. Because what made the university what it is is that it was the one kind of accepted place where, you know, you know, it was kind of where truth came out of, or at least doesn't mean everything they say is true, but if if it came out of there, it was well thought out. It was, it was, it was the best that it could possibly be, you know, in whatever field. And um, I think it's pretty clear that that's not the case anymore and that most people and a lot of people understand that. And as things continue to erode where people aren't interested in going to college anymore for these reasons, they're finding alternative avenues. The value that college is supposed to provide is obviously just not there. Um, Then it continues to erode what it is that the what it is that you when you say, can we restore it? What it is you think you're restoring is not, you know, it, there's not there's not going to be anything to restore at that point. Yeah, it's That's kind a of a really
0: job. good answer. When I think about things I have in mind of restoring its standards, it's um, the, a, a space where open discourse of dialogue can actually happen again, those sorts of things. But I, I agree with you. It, in some senses, it doesn't deserve to be restored. This is something I think about is, is the system so hollowed out now? that at some point in, say, the next 50 years, it collapses under its own weight. Um, It sounds like what you're saying is these things might happen, but you and I probably won't see them in our professional lives.
1: Well, that's because maybe our professional lives might be like, another year and a half but uh (laughs) that that maybe wasn't what you meant there (laughs) i
0: mean if we if we go to the ripe old age of 75 and take emeritus that things in all probability will be what they are now and not much different
1: yeah i mean they might well they might be very different but i would if i had to predict that they're different they're different in in the opposite direction of maybe what you're what you're suggesting all that you know things do tend to kind of have it's a way gonna of change.
0: it's just going to be even worse <laughs> is that what you're saying
1: <laughs> that's what I, that would be my my uh, at least i'd put my money on that one although things do have a way of kind of there is a boomerang effect um but i think that that's more likely to come from outside and and just kind of yeah i don't know what it's going to be i can't predict what it's going to be but i just think that you know there, there's a quicker it's just it's just like uh we don't we no longer need print journals anymore I mean that's a very narrow small thing but do we really you know there's going to be a point and there's it's quickly becoming apparent that we're not we don't really need i it gets back to maybe the questions that we ask you know when we're talking about peer review what is it we're trying to do you know with the university what is it that we're trying to to do here what is the purpose that it's supposed to serve and we know we that it doesn't 4, serve thousand the, of them we know that it doesn't serve that purpose right but yeah. but you know, what is the purpose in the first place? And then it becomes apparent, I think, that for the most part, they don't they don't really uh, they're not even close to serving that purpose. I think for most people, just to put it and co- be a little more concrete, for most people, you go to college to get a job or to meet people and to do. Um, and apparently now that's not really what college helps you to help you to do.
0: All right. One more question. Um, you are a dude who studies probability. And you are a gambler. If you're 18 years old in the United States today, and essentially going to college is a risk, you have to lay down some money, presumably, um, to see if you get the gain out of it that you want to happen. Is that a bet you take if you're 18 years old in 2022? Or do you lay your money somewhere else?
1: So that's a... Very good question. So if if the the, the people who are the, the most different, the people are in the hardest position of all are the people, as is is, is you just said, the 18 year old today, because I kind of feel like today, you don't have, a, you don't really have good options, because there's no alternative. Um, so I think if you're 18 years old, 10 or 15 or 20 years from now, that answer will be much easier, and you can easily forgo college for something else. Today, I mean, I think I think it, it, it's probably a case by case basis because I still think that there's probably on the whole, you know, there is still benefits to going to college for a lot of people. I mean, going to going to Harvard, ignoring what Harvard is, meeting the people who are there. I mean, that's still the best place to go to kind of get that exposure. Uh, and ultimately, that's where the value comes in. Right. And so it's unfortunate. But I, I think that that is there. Today, you're really stuck, but I, I still think that it, 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 it's on the side of, of better than not. Uh, if you can go to the better schools, to the, to the lesser schools, you know, you could, and by lesser schools, I just mean really at, at the end of the day, you know, the educate, I, I don't believe that it's about the education. Um, I think that now, especially you can learn, you can learn whatever you want pretty much anywhere, obviously, the, and the quality of the education is actually not very good, Uh depending on the fields because it's tainted by the things that you're talking about um but it's really the access to the networks and the, so it's, it's the social element of it um and so that still is the place to go uh and i think that over time that'll change and my answer would change over time accordingly
0: hmm. and that's it, it's sad but you're you're right that it is the connections and the network that is the the object of value, and arguably just the credential, the thing that comes at the end, um, rather than sort of the study itself. Um, but I think these are all signs to of just how hollowed out it is.
1: Yeah, I, but I will say on the credential side, and this gets to the network. I mean, everything is 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 eroding, deteriorating because you know as the standards. I mean, the, there used to be a reason why, you know. You put Harvard next to your name, it meant something because there was a standard to get in. I mean, of course, the stand a lot of the standard was, there was a lot of legacy in a lot of that. Although that indicates something as well, something different. But now it indicates a lot of other things, and I think that that's that erodes the value uh, from a standard from a quality perspective considerably.
0: Harry Crane, co-founder of researchers.one. If you've got essays laying around that you're tired of waiting on peer reviewers for, um, go ahead and uh, publish there. There's, there's some good eyes um, looking there. Um, also a full professor of statistics at Rutgers University. Harry, thank you so
1: much for talking with me today. Lots of interesting stuff. Thanks a lot.